Hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Good to see you. I got a message for you, whether you're at the uh, Edgewood campus, the Bel Air campus, the Mountain Road campus, or the Avenue campus. Here's my message today. You ready? Jumbo. Jumbo. It's Swahili for, hey, what's up? Try it. Jumbo. It's fun. Here's another one for you. In, uh, a week ago today, we were in Kenya, uh, worshiping with our friends there, and they began every worship service with an enthusiastic message, Buana, say that, Buana, Asafiwe. One more time, Buana. Now say it with gusto, because it means praise the Lord. Ready? One, two, three. Buana, Asafiwe. Praise the Lord. Yep. Hey, here's what they say. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You can't get anywhere if you don't take a step. Isn't that right? But it's amazing where you can find yourself if you will take just one step, and then another, and then another. I feel like this is a really important um, word for someone because um, I'm guessing some of us are stuck today. And you know it. You're, you're, whether it's a nagging sense or a really clear sense, some of us are stuck. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship or an ungodly attitude. Or maybe you're just spiritually stuck. You're not going anywhere in your relationship with God. And you won't until you take a step. We want to, in this series, we're calling this series, Take a Step. To try to listen to those God promptings that all of us have all the time. And to be able to take that step that God is leading you to take. And we want to help everybody do that uh, today. You know, Jesus, when he calls people, there's always, always movement. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are right now. You ever think about that? He's always calling us to motion. In fact, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He's walking there, and there's Simon, who we later know as Peter, and Andrew. And he calls to them. He says, come. Follow me. Feel the motion, the action there. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. i got bigger fish for you to fry than the rut you're stuck in right now. Follow me, he says. And then the response is amazing. Verse 18. Verse 18. It says in Mark chapter 1, 18. It says, immediately or at once, they dropped their nets, that which they were familiar with, and they followed Jesus. And I feel like every one of us has the same decision to make. All the time. Like, will you cling to what you have and who you are and the familiar and the comfortable, or will you drop your nets in order to go take that step, that first step with whatever God is calling you to do and to be? So we're going to, next week, talk about three chairs and how you might need to move from one to the next. Today is fun because we get to celebrate what God did on Mount Kilimanjaro. A lot of you know, about over a year ago, a bunch of us um, planned and prepared for this trip, which we took on behalf of the whole Mountain family. We just got back, and uh, this trip was all about raising funds for some kids from the slums of Nairobi so they would be enabled to, after having graduated high school, to be able to take their next steps. Uh, to pursue college education, to become all that God's calling them to be. And that's what this trip was about, and uh, I'm really excited to tell you about some of it today. 22 of us from Mountain 
You'll see us at all the campuses today wearing these cool shirts. Those are the trip participants, plus Pat Gerber. Uh, a lot of you might remember Pat. He used to be on staff here. Now he lives in Kenya. Plus three uh, uh, Kenyan high school students made 26 total. We left August 26th. And excuse me, August 10th, <laughs> and we just got back on Wednesday. We're a little loopy still in the head, as you can tell, and uh, a little raspy in the throat and all that, too. But the trip was an unbelievable success by every standard. Uh, the route that we took to climb uh, Kilimanjaro, they say about 75% success rate you can expect, okay? I'm here to tell you we defied and crushed those odds. 26 of 26 of our group made it to... 18,600 feet at uh, Gilman's Point. <clears throat> and 25 of 26 made it all the way to Uhuru Peak, which is the absolute pinnacle of the summit, the highest point on the highest mountain in Africa, the highest freestanding mountain in the world, Kilimanjaro, 19,341 feet. 25 of us made up there, so that's awesome. Um, here's this. Uh, the best news, really, though, is that because of the support that we experienced through this trip, through many of you and our friends and family, whatever, we're able to send over 30 students to college as a result of the Next Step trip. So that's awesome. Excited about that. <clears throat> Huge team effort. I wish you had time to meet everybody on the trip. Uh, everyone's got a great story to tell. And uh, uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to, to meet some of them. But I do want you to meet a few of them. Melissa, Alan, and Gil are here today. So watch the screen and welcome them as they come on up. I know that I must do what's right. Sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. I seek to cure what's deep inside. Frightened of this thing that I've become. So that gives you a little flavor. Gives you a little flavor of, of some of what went on. Um, all right, why don't you guys quickly introduce yourselves and just tell like one kind of major takeaway from your trip. Yeah. Melissa, you go first. Hi, I'm Melissa Hedrick. Um, I'm a stay-at-home homeschool mom. Uh, I had the opportunity to go on this trip actually with my husband, Kevin. So that was really great. Um, like Ben said, I really wish you could meet everybody on our trip. Our trip was so special. This group of people that came together and was just such an example of the importance of Christian community. Um, if you see these shirts walking around, like go up, introduce yourself, and uh, ask them about their story because they got one. They got a good one. Um, for me personally, I think my biggest takeaway was I was really called by God to put my faith into action and to actually trust him. We all had hangups and um, anxiety about the trip. Like, am I going to make all of this scholarship money? Am I going to physically handle the climb? For me, it was just taking that first step out the door of my kids. And I felt silly because I should just be able to go. But I felt God saying, if you have faith in me, you're going to prove it and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to trust me. You're going to have to walk away from, from what you 
think you can control and put your trust in me. So for me, it was just radical trust for God. Mm -hmm. And I, I can tell that's going to have an impact on you when you get back, now that you're back on the ground. Yeah, the trip, you can't not come back different. Um, I'm just so excited to to show that because you just, you're changed in the way you want to be a mom, the way you want to be a wife or just a servant of Christ. And, and it's just, it's exciting. Awesome. All right. Trust God. Alan, what you got? <coughs> yeah, so I'm Alan. I'm a single guy here at Mountain on staff. I'm usually in the back working in the video control room. Um, my big takeaway was this was like a finish line for me. 15 months ago, uh, I was convicted that if I just wasn't serving uh, to the fullest because my health and my weight held me back. Uh, and God just placed it on my heart that I needed to get in shape and I needed to get healthy. Uh, and then I did that and, uh, and getting to the top of this mountain was kind of crossing that finish line for me. Um, and yeah. That was big. It's cool. We'll hear more about that. I'm Gil Shelsby, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Mountain. And um, we talk about Mountain. Um, it's defined by our love for God, love for people, and service to the world. And uh, I saw 22 mountain women and men serving in a way that just honored each of those three. And I'm just excited to go back to the elders and, and tell them what I saw and, and what I experienced. Yeah. All right. So everybody wants to talk about the climb, and we want to tell you about that. But... We want to start with really what was the, the most important thing and why we went on this trip to begin with. We want to start by talking about the kids, the kids of Africa, particularly of uh, Missions of Hope International. Um, the kids, uh, we, we flew from uh, Dulles to Nairobi, which is where Missions of Hope International, sometimes they'll hear us say Mohi, M-O-H-I, uh, where these kids are based out of in the slums of Nairobi. And uh, we, we got to visit with a bunch of the kids there in the program, and we got a little bit of footage we slapped together to give you a little feel for, the, for that. So go ahead and watch the screen. So that gives you a feel, a little bit. <clears throat> so those kids you just saw singing about how they're no longer the same are part of Missions of Hope and uh, are in the program, so to speak, sponsored kids. We also, though, left that center and we walked through the village, the neighborhoods where these kids live and where we saw other kids who aren't in the program. And I tell you, that's very, very sobering and raw. Uh, Mathari Valley is some of the worst slums in the world. Picture 800,000 people jammed into about one square mile living in just the worst poverty you can imagine. It kind of wrecks you in a way. You can't really 
describe it very yeah, well. Yeah, you can't, there's no way you can visit there and not be changed. Uh, so townhomes are a popular style of housing around here. And so imagine the smallest bedroom in, that, in a townhouse, but that's the size of the house uh, that, that uh, they live in. And it's not carpeted. It's not, you know, there's no AC. There's no, it's not nice uh, um, walls. It's just tin and cardboard and, and sheets or blankets, whatever they can find to tack together to create the structure for them to live in. And then in that space, that tiny little space, there's five to ten people that live in there, depending on the family. Um, very few have electricity, um, and then running water is pretty much non-existent unless you want to count the raw sewage that is running through their homes and through the streets because they're down in the valley, so all of that just kind of flows downhill. Um, and, and I'm serious when I say raw sewage. Like, you could smell, like, just walking through there, you could smell it, and you couldn't escape it. Um, and you can see here there's lines and stuff running, just running right through all that sewage. Uh, and um, it got real for me when I picked up a little guy. And as I was picking him up, I uh, felt his cufflinks of his pants, and they were, they were soaked. Um, and that's when it hit me. It's like, that's, that's sewage on his pants right now because he's outside playing in it. And uh, he doesn't have, this little guy doesn't have a choice. That's kind of what he was born into. That's what uh, he knows. Um, and I just held him a little tighter in that moment, knowing um, there's nothing that, that, that he could do about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think experiencing uh, that is, is important. We were kind of thinking to ourselves, hey, we're going to go climb a mountain in a few days, but it dawns on you, you know, that these kids are the ones with the mountain in front of them. You know, the, the obstacles that they face in life are just uh, seemingly insurmountable. Which also then, when you see the village and then you see the kids... In the program, it, it just makes so clear the difference that Missions of Hope is making, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. You, we pulled up on our bus, and you can see through the gate of Pangani Center, these kids in these bright green sweaters, and they're smiling, and they're dancing, and they have this light in them that Mohi has given them. You know, they're clean and well-fed and just vibrant, and you can just see the love of God glowing inside of them, and it's just complete night and day difference from the kids you see that are not in the program. Yeah, it's palpable. And Gil, you had a, an encounter with a little guy, didn't you? I did. Uh, it's something I'll never forget. Um, I'm walking through the slums, and I'm just trying to process what I'm seeing and, and what I'm smelling. And, and in the midst of that, this little boy who's about two, two and a half years old just walks up to me, and he grabs my hand, and he holds on to it, and he just starts to walk with me. And all he wants me to do is just walk, as if he, he wants me to see where he lives each day. And um, it just, it broke my heart, because I, I have a grandson who's about two and a half. He does the same thing when I go to visit him. He just grabs my hand and just wants me to walk with him. And I was thinking about those two little boys. Uh, both of them are children of God. One of them was born in a place where there's just no opportunity and little or no hope. Um, but what Moe is doing is Moe is helping to educate these children, and some are now going to go to college, and there's their opportunity. And they're knowing and growing to know Christ as part of their education, and that's where their hope is. And that's the extraordinary thing that's being done with Moe. And uh, my prayer is, is that that little two-and-a-half-year-old who held my hand, that someday he's going to be one of the Moe children. Yeah, you're going to be a sponsored kid. Um, yeah, I, we, you were, Gil was saying, it reminds you of Jesus when he says, let the little children come to me. 
and you feel like that's exactly what Moe is doing. You know, it's, the kids are coming in. They're getting connected. And the key way is through child sponsorship. Many of you sponsor kids, and many of us on the trip do as well. And we got to meet those kids and just spend some time with them. I can't even begin to describe how cool that is. I got to meet Cecilia and Laban and Grace from our family, and you got to do the same, Melissa. Yeah, that was George, our sponsor child. And <clears throat> I can't describe to you what it's like when you have this 2D picture that you've had on your refrigerator for however long, and it becomes a 3D living, breathing child in front of you that you're providing this sponsorship for. It's just, it's the most incredible feeling. Yeah, so you begin to see how much the relationship really means. And uh, not only did we get that kind of close-up um, where we got to see visibly with each child, we also got a big picture of the ministry. Mountains had a long, rich history with Missions of Hope from a long, for a long time. And Gil, maybe you can share a little bit of that. Yeah, Mary Kamal, who's the director, she spoke here a couple of times. Some of you may remember her, but uh, she's this extraordinary lady who started this ministry. And she shared with us in uh, 2006, a group of mountain leaders and Ben traveled to see what was going on in, in Moi and in the mission. And they were just... Um, so extraordinarily impressed with what they saw. At that time, there were 200 children who had been sponsored. And while Ben was there, uh, Mary had a book that was right next to her. And Ben said, what's that book? And she says, that's a book that has the list of the names of the children on the waiting list. And uh, there were 500 children. And so Ben said, can I, can I have that list? And uh, we're going to do something about that. So he came back to Mountain. He reached out to um, other churches and other pastors that uh, he had worked with. And the Mountain family stepped up and, and has sponsored over a 1,000 of these uh, young children. Um, and it's just really extraordinary. So when we were talking uh, that day, Mary said that, that we now, or Moe now has 15,000 children that are now being educated and uh, coming to know Christ. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess we just, we wanted to come back and just say, you guys, this is so important, and it's working. And I know you weren't able to see it, but we did with our own eyes again. And uh, every dollar you give to the global missions at Mountain and every, every kid you sponsor, every prayer that you pray matters so, so much. And, and speaking of next steps, I mean, there's a step here for some of us maybe to take. Um, I feel like for some people, you've been thinking about sponsoring a kid for a while, and, and you could maybe do that. So for some, the next step might be sponsoring a kid through Missions of Hope. Uh, it'll change their life and their whole family's life, really. Uh, for some, it might be you need to go to Missions of Hope. We're taking a, t a trip next summer. You don't have to climb a mountain. <laughs> you just, you do got to get on a plane. And, uh, but we're going to go to Africa and, and visit with these kids. You can visit your own sponsored kid. It's probably the end of June or beginning of July next year. So be watching for that and praying about whether that's your turn to take that step. I, I don't know whether you ever go to Africa or not. Just know that your sponsorship matters, the relationship matters, and that what we're doing in partnership with the, this ministry is literally transforming a valley of despair into the mountain of God. And uh, it's awesome, and we're, we're really glad to be part of it. Lots more we could talk about, about the kids, but we want to take a, a turn and, and talk a little bit about the climb, because the climb was amazing and uh, a huge part of our experience, obviously. Um, so we, we went to Kenya first to visit Missions of Hope, and then we got on a bus ride, like, what, nine hours or so, like bumping down the road to Tanzania, where Mount Kilimanjaro is. 
We were part of a guided tour. We had guides and porters with us. It was a six-day climb. And you kind of move as you ascend through like four pretty distinct ecosystems, if you will. You start out down low with like a, a, a tropical rainforest. You're under a canopy hiking through the woods and uh, monkeys jumping around and all of that. You eventually move into an area that's kind of like more open and wooded and flowers and fields. And then eventually you move into kind of like a lunar landscape, like you're on Mars. It's kind of windswept and barren. And then it ends on a snow-capped kind of Arctic-like peak. Uh, so you get all those things going on while you're there. All in all, we, we hiked and climbed o o over 50 miles, um, about 31,000 feet of elevation change one way or the other, uh, top to bottom. Uh, we, we slept in huts on the way up. If that sounds like really cushy to you, you don't get it because it, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it, it, it allowed me to hear uh, uh, Gil is a very gifted snorer, and I wouldn't have known that uh, except for the trip. We grabbed a little bit of iPhone footage of the hike, and so maybe you can kind of get a feel for some of the climb. Uh, go ahead and watch the screen here. Right, guys, it's gonna be a good day. Okay, you can see it a lot clearer now. Look at that. Golly, that's just beautiful. Okay, we made it. 12,208 feet after about seven hours of hiking today. We're up here. It's beautiful up here, but we're not there yet. We got to go there, and we're going to do it for the kids, so we're not there yet. hustling around, not a lot of chatter. Everyone's very focused on getting their gears, their shoes. This is really hard. There's no air to breathe. Uh, this crew is worn out, but excited. We've got, uh, we don't even know how many are still with us. Some, unfortunately, have had to turn back due to altitude sickness. Okay, we just summited. I can't believe it. It's the hardest thing most of us have ever done. But here we are. Here's the landscape. And now... Worshiping in this beautiful place. All right. All right. It's a good moment. All right. 
I hear you all laughing when I'm saying, we're really excited about this climb. <laughs> I was doing the best I could. So the climb, Alan, what was one of your high points? Uh, I, I don't know if it was a high point, but I, I totally underestimated how hard this thing was going to be. Um, it, it just, yeah, it kicked our butts. Um, so just seven hours of hiking a day. Um, and then the weather is constantly, there. the climate, one minute it's really nice and breezy, and the next, you know, that night it's cold, and then um, that adds up, and then uh, it took us three days to get to the summit uh, camp, and when we get there, we try to eat, but the altitude's starting to make it harder to, or we lose our appetite at a certain point, and then we only get four hours to try and take a nap, um, and then we wake up at midnight to start our ascent at 1 a.m., and as we climbed, uh, we're tired, and then a lot of us started getting altitude sickness. And for me, my head was just throbbing. It, it felt like somebody's uh, fist was inside my head, just knocking on the side of my skull, um, just pounding. And then my heart started racing. I could feel it beating outside all my layers. Um, it was just physically one of the hardest things I've, I've had to do. Mm -hmm. This is spoken by Mr. CrossFit over here. So, um, One of the things that we did is we shared really meaningful team times on the way, and we had devotions, and Alan shared a devotion about breath prayers, which is such a great gift to all of us, uh, and we all use these breath prayers. Tell us about what breath prayers is, and what was your breath prayer? Yeah, so a breath prayer is just um, a simple way to pray and connect with God without having to think of all kinds of words to say. Um, it's just a short phrase um, that you put to a pattern of breath. So for me, it was, Father, protect me. And so as I, breath, as I breathed deeply that pattern, I didn't need to speak anything because I was praying through my breath, um, which helped me get up the mountain. But at one point, I really started to doubt. My head was throbbing. My heart was pounding. And I wanted to keep going. But in my head, I started to think, what if one of the guides looks at me and says, you need to turn around? And we're only at like 17,000 feet at this point. So I'm thinking, man, we still have another 2,000 feet to go. Like, there's no way. Uh, and as I, all that was going on in my mind, uh, Jeff Izzo, one of our teammates up ahead, says, hey guys, turn around, you can see the sun rising. And so as we turned around, we could see this. Um, and I just started weeping right there. As, as God spoke to me through his creation and said, Alan, I created all of this, but you still don't trust that I can get you up this mountain. And it's kind of like a pivotal moment for me. Mm -hmm. I think the, the physical demands of this kind of a trip with the altitude and the, the physical rigors and all that, it's pretty much, I don't care who you are, it's going to take you to the end of yourself. And it feels like that's always the place then where God has opportunity to kind of show up and do something that you can't do in your own strength. And that, so that's just a principle. It's just not true physically, but it's true in all of life, isn't it? And you certainly experienced some of that, you had your own struggles on the trip. I did. Um, we all had altitude sickness to varying degrees, but on summit night, um, it really dug into me and it just held on. Um, through the previous days of uh, hiking, we would realize like the first 20 minutes would be really, really hard, but it would get better. And so I just kept telling myself like, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And it never got better. <laughs> <laughs> it just got worse. Um, so I found myself um, separated from the group. I had slowed down. I was alone with a, a single guide. And I was just, I felt so alone and just like 
at the end, I was broken and sad, and I thought to myself in my pathetic state, I was like, man, I wish I, I, wish I could just hold someone's hand. And in uh, like not a second later, did my guide, he reached his hand back, and he grabbed my mitten off my pole, and he just started pulling me. And like in that moment, I felt like God was saying like, I'm here, like I'm here with you, I can see you. Um, you don't need the group. You don't even need your husband, but I'm here with you, and I will get you through. Um, my breath prayer was, I trust you. Mm-hmm. It's calmed my breathing. It slowed it down, and it refocused me. It refocused me on just one more step, just one more step. Mm-hmm. This is one of the amazing stories. She and her husband Kevin. Uh, if you, if all of you notice in the video, I say. Hey, we're up here, and uh, sadly, some of our group had to turn back because of altitude sickness. But we were talking about her and her husband because that's what we figured had to have happened. If you'd seen them, you know, like at 15,000, you know, three steps, head on poles. Three steps, head on poles. You know, we're just like, oh, shoot, there's no way they can go on. They're going to be turning back. And so we were, the three of us were part of a group that was able to get up and summit first. And we had a great time up there. Kirk lugged his guitar, as you saw. We worshiped and hung out for like 45 minutes while we realized that's a little too long at 19,000 feet. So Alan was getting dippier than he normally is. And so we, we had to get off the mountain. So we put our crampons on. We start down this snowy embankment. And as we're heading down, why, well, here comes Kevin and Melissa. It chokes me up even to say it now. It was just like, we couldn't believe it. Here you guys were. And of course, when we saw you, we expected this big smile. Instead, Melissa kind of went, <laughs> I think you were happier on the inside. I was so happy inside. Um, <laughs> you could only imagine. Um, they weren't that far ahead of us, but I, we could hear them worship. So I remember hearing, like, I knew they'd made it. And um, we had prayed so hard together, and it meant so much to us that we just, like, we just had to keep going. And to, to meet them on the ridge to the peak, it was just, it was everything you needed at that last push. Um, each person like taking their moment with you and just like encouraging you and just hugging you and loving on you. It was, it was, it was everything. And then when we came back down, they, you know, they beat us there too. We were so far behind and we assumed that they were gone because we knew we had another lot of hiking to do for the rest of the day. So when we came down the hill um, and we see Kirk and Alan and I, my husband, and it was just like, we're here and we're together, and it was it was oh, it was so good. I always feel like that's what heaven's going to be like. You got a long life is hard, but there's a there's a family waiting for yeah. you, so you you can make it. Gil, how what were you going to say? I was going to say we knew Melissa was struggling because on the trip we learned early on that she likes to talk, and uh, <laughs> when we came across her on the ridge down. She didn't open her mouth once. Yes. So we're like, oh, man, she's in a dark place stunningly, right now. Stunningingly silent there for a, a long time. Uh, Gil, how, how is it that you think we were able to do this? It, it was nothing short of a miracle. Um, I think you'd agree I'm not a great physical specimen. Well, I, I, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think what the difference is, is that uh, we were on um, a cause for God and for these children. That's what got us up the mountain. Uh, for, I, I know at least personally, for a number of hours, it was dark. You could only see the boots in front of you, and you were just trudging along and just wondering when this was ever going to end. And in the moments you felt like quitting, you, you just rem- remembered these children and just um, what they dealt with every single day. And, and I kept saying to myself, I can do this. This is just a, a short time period I have to do this for the children. 
Um, one of the things I did was uh, well, we went to the Sunday services and the children brought us in. They gave us each a rose and I put it in my backpack and I took it all the way to the top of Kilimanjaro and I put my rose on the sign that is the highest peak in Africa. Um, another thing that got me up the mountain is uh, I, I just I was blessed to do this uh, trip with my son Gil and uh, it was just so great. When, when I finished the trip and we came down through the entrance, I was sitting there and he put his arm around me. He goes, Dad, we, we did it. We did it. And it, it, was just a, it was just a special moment. But um, I think another big part of this was uh, the Mountain family just praying for us. Uh, we felt your prayers. Yeah, definitely. In fact, there was a kind of turning point. Um, a lot of this uh, climb is about the last push, the summit night. So we're at 15,000 feet. We're bundled up. I'm nauseous. Most of us aren't really eating much. And we had a devotion. And Gil led that devotion. And what he shared, I think, ended up being super important and meaningful to us. And I think it will be to you, too. Why don't you share some of that? Sure. So uh, in the midst of training um, in April of this year, I was training. And uh, I herniated a disc. And a fragment came out. It was impinging on my spine. Uh, within a couple of days, I was seeing a doctor and then a neurosurgeon, and I went to see the neurosurgeon, and I told him about this trip, and he said, the only way you're going to be able to do this trip is you got to have surgery, and you got to have it now. Uh, so I, I scheduled it. Um, the night before the surgery was scheduled, I got a call from my daughter, who was eight and a half months pregnant, and she got the bad news that the baby was feet down instead of being head down. And the next morning, which is the same day as my surgery, um, they had scheduled her for a procedure where they put her under anesthesia. And it's risky to her and the baby, but they're going to try to move this baby and um, put it into position. So my poor wife, she's got a husband having surgery and a daughter who's going to have a procedure in South Carolina on the same day. So she reached out and just had folks praying for us. And... Uh, so the next morning, we get a call around 10 a.m. from my daughter, and she said they went in, they hooked her up to the IV, the OB comes in, and they put the sonogram on, and that little critter, he um, flipped over in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, and then, uh, and then a couple hours later, I go to the Mercy Medical Center, my surgeon comes in, who I told him about this mission trip, and when he was done uh, just talking about the procedure, he said to Lorianne and I, he said, um, can I pray for you? And, she, and we said, certainly, certainly, doctor. And so he took our hands and he prayed for peace. He prayed for healing. Uh, and then he, he prayed for this trip. He just prayed that I would be healed and that I'd be climbing Kilimanjaro. Um, and it was just to have those two things happen in one day, which I know people were praying about. So when we gathered that night, I said to everybody, um, I want you to know that on the moment that we are leaving, which is midnight here, it's 5 o'clock on the East Coast, um, the elders have committed to prayer. Our staff have committed to prayer. Um, social media, we have put out that this is our launch time, and folks have committed to prayer. Our families have. Um, the folks that were at that 5 o'clock service were committed to prayer. And maybe for the first time in our lives, we had hundreds, if not a 1,000 people praying for this team. And I, I truly believe that that's what got us up the mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the, the vibe in that room before you gave that. Was, it was the nerves setting in, and some of us even, you could see in their faces, like, they didn't, 
we didn't, all of us didn't really believe if we were going to be able to do this. But then that was like the pep talk the coach gives at halftime that like fires you all up. And I just remember a lot of us going to bed that night with a lot more peace about it. And then there was a moment for me when we, we reached Gilman's Point, which was 18, around 18,500 feet. Uh, and traveling between there and Stella's Point, which was at 19,000, that uh, I don't know if you've ever been driving when you're tired um, and you start to nod off behind the wheel, and that's like a really dangerous place. Well, I was doing that while I was hiking, and uh, they had gotten a lot of snow this season, so the route that we usually take was snowed in, so they had a detour for us. But that put us right along the edge within, we had like a five to six foot uh, path that if, if we take one wrong step, you're going over the, the edge between those two points. Uh, and I was walking, my arms and feet would be moving, and I would just start nodding off. And I'd wake up, and I'd be like two steps further than I was when I started to fall asleep. Um, and then that's when I just felt the presence of everyone's prayers there. It just woke me up. It gave me the energy I needed to keep going. Um, got emotional again, just thinking of literally hundreds of people, thousands of people holding us and our team in, in your prayers. And so I just want to say thank you. I know lots of other people on our team have other specific defining moments where they felt your prayer specifically. Uh, we couldn't have done that without you guys. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So just thank you uh, for, for, for caring and for being with us uh, in spirit and prayer. And thank you on behalf of 30 kids and their whole families whose trajectories are very different because of what happened through the fundraising on this, on this trip. You know, in the Bible, um, there's lots of mountains. And very often, when someone goes up on the mountain, they go and they experience God there. And then they come back and they share that. Whether it's Abraham, when he went there with Isaac, or, or Moses and the Ten Commandments, or, or Jesus and his disciples, they always come down and they share what they've encountered with other people. And we, we just, we wanted to try to do that for you a little bit, uh, knowing that mo you know, none of you went to Kilimanjaro with us, but we met God there in some really cool ways, and we learned some lessons, and we want to try to just share. Now, not, not enough about the kids and enough about the climb, but what it just about Christ and you, and uh, some things maybe from the mountaintop that could help all of us take our next step. So, Melissa, why don't you start? What do you got? Something our guides repeated to us a lot was Hakuna Matata. Um, <laughs> they, re they really say that. They really say that. <laughs> Uh, and simply means no worries, don't worry. So um, as someone who was going into it with their trust being tested, going into an environment of, no, it's okay, don't worry, was, um, was really energizing. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a church. Um, but I think I waited my entire life to experience what I did on that mountain. Um, everyone isn't gonna climb Kilimanjaro, but everybody will face a Kilimanjaro in their life. You're gonna, you're gonna come to a mountain and you're gonna come to the end of yourself. <coughs> um, and you're gonna have to trust and not worry because at that point, it's not you, it's just God. And you just trust and keep going, and he's going he's gonna to get you over that mountain. Mm -hmm. Amen. Gil, what do you got? So my, uh, my spiritual lesson it can be summed up in the words, poli poli, <laughs> which in Swahili means slowly, slowly. We heard it a million times. <laughs> so it's, they kept <laughs> saying, poly. we saw signs of it before we even got to uh, Kilimanjaro. 
And um, the, the way they explain it to you is that if you go up the mountain slowly, slowly, but methodically and stay the course, stay on the path, you'll make it to the top. If you go too quickly, if you move too fast, you're too erratic, those are the ones who fall by the wayside. And I just thought it was a great spiritual lesson of, of our walk with Christ, um, that we walk pole, pole, slowly, slowly, and stay the course. And if we do, we make it to the top. Um, Bob Goff said something one time. He said, um, if you want to walk alongside Christ, don't run in front of him. And poly poly was just a reminder to walk slowly and steadily alongside. Yeah, such a good word for me. I love to run and be fast. And it's just a reminder, be patient. Wait on God. A long obedience in the same direction. Poly poly is, our, is how we live our, our Christian lives. Here's another one for you. It's an encouragement that a lesson that we learned on the mountain would be to, to live like and be a spiritual porter. Be a spiritual porter. So we had these porters or Sherpas and guides who went with us to show us the way and they carried a lot of stuff. We carried about 18 to 30 pounds of our own gear, but they carried the heavy stuff like the pots and the pans and the stoves and the gas and all of this stuff. And in addition, they just brought a sense of encouragement to our team. When you, need, when you were down, they'd sing a song. Uh, they, they would fill your water bottle. They would uh, they'd do all these things just to help you up that mountain, these porters would. And maybe the most notable is when they would see someone and they could tell by the body language that they were laboring up the mountain, they would just quietly come up behind them and slip off their backpack and take it on themselves. Even though they probably already had two or three on already, they would take an additional pack so you could walk unburdened for a bit and get your rest. And we thought, man, what a beautiful picture of how Christ really calls all of us to live. We want to we wanted to all come back and live more like that, and maybe you do too. Uh, that's what Jesus calls us to do. Galatians 6, 2 actually says, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want, you want to be a Christ follower? You want to fulfill the law of Jesus? Be a spiritual porter. Find the people in your life. Maybe it's your spouse or your kids or someone nearby you at work or whatever that's laboring under a burden and see what you could do in a practical way to simply alleviate their burden just quietly and unassumingly with joy. Uh, that's a great lesson. Uh, we all want to live like that. How about one more? Um, uh, one of our convictions after coming down off this mountain that we would want to share with our mountain family would be this. Do hard things. Do hard things. Don't be afraid of hard things. In fact, I'm not sure there's anything really beautiful and uh, amazing and powerful and good in life that comes cheap and easy and free. All the good stuff is on the other side of doing something hard. And uh, we experience that in a physical sense, but it also is so much more. Um, it's, it's a spiritual principle as well. And in life, you've, you've had a lot of experience with doing some hard things, haven't you, Alan? Yeah, so as I mentioned early on, uh, 50 months ago, I had that conviction uh, to get healthy and uh, it wasn't the first time I've had that conviction. So my, before I even knew about this trip, my mountain before was my, my health and my weight. Uh, I had started many times, and then when it gets hard, you know, stop. Um, but this time, it was a true conviction. Uh, and so I decided, you know what, I need to go through it with it. And I need, it's going to be hard, and, and it was extremely hard. It required a lot of trust and um, diligence. But what I had to do was I had to invite God into it and invite 
everybody else into that journey with me. Um, and so when I was standing on top of Mount Kilimanjaro physically, I was just overwhelmed with emotions thinking of that. And then also thinking of, man, there's so many people in life that are still just stuck. And they want that mountaintop experience. But the question is, are you willing to do the hard things to get to that mountaintop? We physically had to go through altitude sickness and headaches um, and, and sore muscles and tiredness. And I think that's why we were all so emotional when we got to the top because we, we, we worked so hard to get there. But we weren't alone. We were with people, and we invited God onto that journey. So some of us might be struggling with an addiction or in a relationship uh, uh, or stuck in a relationship or stuck in finances. But what is that thing for you that's preventing you from taking your next step? What's the hard thing that's preventing you from taking that next step? And are you willing to do the hard things to get to the mountaintop? Because it's not just going to happen unless you're willing to, to do the hard things. And you can't do it alone. You will not be able to do it unless you invite God in and you invite other people in to do that with you. Yeah. Uh, so on this note of hard things, uh, one of our group members, uh, Kathy Rawlings, um, was diagnosed with cancer just a few weeks prior to our departure. So she was unable to go uh, up Kilimanjaro. She kind of had a new mountain before her uh, called Chemo. And so we took her in our hearts with us up that, up that mountain, and we took a picture of her, and we actually recorded a little video for her at the top, which I think we have for you here. Hey, Kathy. We made it. And... Uh, we got you in our heart. We had some nausea. Threw up a few times. It was hard. We had some hard things. And we, we thought about you. Hey, Kirk, say hey to Kathy. Everybody say hi to Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Praying for you, girl. Yeah. She's doing something hard, too. <laughs> Kathy will tell you that precisely because of how hard cancer has been for her, that God is visiting her in ways she never would have experienced. And it seemed like that's just a principle that's so true. So no surprise then that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, he says in Luke 9, he says, take up your cross and follow me. He invites us to do hard things. And it's going to sometimes, we, we all want to be on the summit with Jesus, with the sheer joy that we have in Christ, to have peace that kind of holds no matter what's going on in your life, to have hope in Christ. We all want that mountain peak. But don't forget that the way you get there is by the obedience and the trust and the faithfulness to Jesus uh, along the way. So our encouragement to you, Mountain Family, is to, is to do uh, hard things. Some of you, it might be a very practical next step that feels hard. We have this baptism splash this weekend. If you've not taken that step because it feels hard, do the hard thing and, and, and get baptized this weekend. Some of you are like, well, I've been baptized, but I'm, not, I'm stagnant and I'm stuck. Sign up for Rooted. That's why we keep talking about this experience. It's going to be a beautiful way for you to move forward in your faith. Whatever it is, don't be afraid uh, to, to do uh, the hard things. Um, again, just on behalf of all 26 of us who went, um, thank you for your prayerful support and your encouragement along the way and your interest today. Um, that, that journey of a thousand miles begins with, with one step, and we pray that whatever your step might be, that you, that you would take that, whether it's trusting God more uh, and, and not worrying so much, but giving him room to work, hakuna matata, or pole pole, just keep steady, be patient with God and your own progress, or to be a spiritual porter for some others, to really bring encouragement, 
or whether it's to take a step by doing something really hard. Uh, may, may God bless you. Hey, um, at all of our campuses, as we close today, <clears throat> we always like to remind everyone that this is a praying church, and if you would like to be prayed with uh, or for or over, we have friends set aside. Just come to the front, any of our campuses, and we'll meet you and pray with you, whatever God's uh, telling you you need prayer for today, okay? Also, if you're new at Mountain and you've not been to MI5, just go to the place where there's a balloon and a table, and we'll meet you, and in five minutes or less, Mountain in five minutes, just tell you about this awesome community called Mountain and how you can uh, find your way in, okay? Hey, let's stand and close with a benediction. We'll share a scripture <clears throat> that um, we shared on the mountain, and we hope it, it blesses you like it did us when we were climbing uh, Kilimanjaro. So it's from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the, to the mountains, and I ask, where does my help come from? Well, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot slip. The Lord God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He will watch over you day and night. He will watch over your life. He is God. God bless these people. Help us, God, to do whatever it is you're leading us to do and to take a step. Amen. Amen. Hey, join us in the baptistry at 4 o'clock today if you want to. Otherwise, God bless. See you next week. Three chairs next week. Three chairs.